The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 58. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter, a.k.a. Father Fett, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. Today we're discussing The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 2, or Chapter 10 if you're uh, counting that way, called The Passenger. And so joining me today on the panel are, first of all, we have Thomas Sanjurjo. How's it going? Uh, Now that I'm over my fear of this particular episode things are good um <laughs> second up this evening is angela silana hi everybody um yes the the bug related situation i would just want to say that um i uh we've been having an ant problem in our apartment oh, no. actually not a spider problem so <laughs> so i was more freaked out by ant-man than by this episode i would just like to say that um it's funny that you should mention that. We'll bring that up later. Uh, not yes. your AM problem, but AM, AM. Um, uh, unfortunately, Andrew Hermes and Mike Creevy are unable to join us this evening. They both had completely legitimate excuses, but I'm saying that they're both terrified of spiders and didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> to be fair, I think it's Mike, <laughs> Mike, Mike was more afraid because he had a, a spider infestation. And Andrew, I think, was definitely more pro spider on this front. But um that's uh, neither here nor there. We're going to miss them this evening, but we will continue on without them. Um, so obviously we've already got a few of our initial impressions of this episode, but what besides the spiders or what, what else did you think? What was your impressions of this uh, new episode of The Mandalorian? I loved the absolutely Catholic moment. <laughs> the Catholic when, moment? When, yeah, when Mando says, may the force be with you. Yes. Oh. <laughs> fighter pilot response but but they haven't upgraded to the new translation yet they didn't yeah yeah it would be harder to do the new translation you know so but it was still very like (laughs) it's still that moment where i think every catholic has had that kind of feeling about uh saying may the force be with you (laughs) what did you what did you think besides the catholic moment (laughs) i i i liked it i um i was I thought the CG on the uh, new character was really well done. It felt like it fit with everything that was going on. And I know that one of the things they've talked about is the lighting because of this, um, you know, because of the the backdrop that they do and the LED backdrop, they can get the lighting a lot better on the characters. And it really did feel that way. Like there were only a few moments where you could very much tell that it was CG and not kind of a practical effect thrown in mm-hmm. and obviously you know it is because it's too smooth to be a practical effect from the get-go but uh i i felt like it worked really well the episode as a whole there were a lot of moments where it was kind of up and down uh for me uh and some some stuff that was a little hard to to track with and i'm sure we'll get with, get get into that as we go through the the recap mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, for me, I, I was entertained by this episode. There were several moments where I felt like um, it captured sort of the childlike wonder of Star Wars at certain moments. Um, but I just think it was a really unique episode in um, how few human faces we actually saw in this episode. And it was um, just a lot of either acting in a, a mask or costume and um, some amazing puppetry as well with the child. Um, and I was just kind of blown away by that and just how um, the direction must have been really interesting for this episode. So um, yeah, I, I'm not a, a fan of spiders, but um, I was able to kind of, you know, jive with with the whole like horror feeling of this episode. And as I dug in a little deeper, I really um, appreciated the episode more. So, but we'll get into that. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm similar. I think my first response was you like, I (laughs) don't like spiders. Not, not that I have a irrational fear of them, but I've never been a fan of them when they show up in Harry Potter and, and Doctor Who and all these other sci-fi Lord of the Rings. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're kind of a standard creature monster that's thrown into some of these sci-fi uh, genres. So I did not like the spiders at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I and and of course, on a larger plot, it didn't really advance the plot a whole lot, which, of course, mm-hmm. we're all we're all excited to see. Moff Gideon and the Darksaber and, and, you know, all of that sort of the other coverts, the other Mandalorians, um, you know, so I had to kind of rein in my expectations for that storyline and be happy with the, the little standalone story that this was, which totally fits the Mandalorian, you know, season one did that. And, and it's, yeah, it's, I could enjoy it for what it was. It's not one that I'm going to go back and rewatch, um, a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did kind of put in my notes that I, I, I sort of <laughs> said that the, the whole story of this one was almost like it was like a standard taillight out pullover by the cops gone terribly wrong. <laughs> right. Like that, that's the gist of this <laughs> like, whole like as bad as it could go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think kind of once I had finished the episode, my initial reaction was, oh, I think I liked the opening sequence better than the rest of the episode. Mm hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I changed my mind after a while. A <laughs> couple things to point out about uh, this episode. Um, it was written by John Favreau and it was directed by Peyton Reed. And this is the Ant-Man connection. He was mm-hmm. the director of, of both the Ant-Mans. And I think he's going to be directing the upcoming Ant-Man uh, movie that's coming out th- with Marvel. Now, I don't know him by sight. Is is that who the other X-Wing pilot was? No. No. Uh, okay. I, I wrote down his name. Um, that Paul, was Paul, Paul Sun-Hoon Lee. Yep. He's a uh-huh. Korean-Canadian who apparently, cool. I, th- I think he he's just a huge Star Wars fan and he knows Dave Filoni. And All right. <laughs> I think dressed dressed in cosplay and I think, I don't know if he used his own cosplay for this or not, but... Uh, <laughs> They're, they're, yeah, they're, there's Probably a connection not. there. <laughs> they, they did the board beat cops very well. It was, <laughs> it was well done. <laughs> right. Um, but I, it was also just kind of interesting that the director of Ant-Man, we have the, the ant, uh, Dr. Mandible, I think is how he's, how mm-hmm. at least Pelly calls him. I don't know <laughs> if that's his name, but, you know, he's in there. Um, the spiders. I read that he was, 
he was in uh, the background of season one, episode five, yes. where Mando is coming in to the cantina as well. So that's pretty neat. They must have, I wonder if they knew that, well, they must have known that Peyton Reed was going to direct an episode in season two. I don't know. What do you think? Maybe. They were just using a lot of stuff from the original. And I, I think, you know, that's one of those things. It's just, you know, it's kind of a sci-fi standard is have mm-hmm. the ant in there. Have yeah. the ant person. The big bug. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I think also they, they, I don't know if they knew that he was going to do that, but they're, they're clearly looking ahead to multiple seasons. So they're kind of already charting out uh, those particular plot points. But you, uh, Dr. Mandible was in the Gunslinger episode, but also so was Frog Lady. Both of them were in the cantina in that particular episode in uh, chapter five, I think it was the gunslinger. So, yeah, she, Fro- Frog Lady was there for quite a while before uh, getting passage <laughs> Poor off. Poor Frog off. Lady. I know. Uh, the other. Fun... I doesn't have a name. I love that. I mean, she's credited as that in the credits as well. It's. Like, yeah, I know. Yeah, no, no, uh, no direct name for, for her yet. Uh, the other cool thing about Frog Lady is that she is her performance actor is Misty Roses, who did the same performance yeah. acting for Queel. Oh, okay, nice. Um, another. And, f- oh, Angela. You're oh, gonna were me. you going to talk about her voice? Yes, but go for it. <laughs> that was done by Dee Bradley Baker, our friend who does all kinds of voices, but he mm-hmm. voice the clones. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool connections um, just on the acting front. So, well, and then Moss from the IT crowd. That was I was could, kept trying to place the the voice for uh, for the droid, and I was like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I know that voice. I know that voice. And and he, he didn't hear much in the first season. Like he didn't talk overly much. But this one, it was a little more important to to hear mm-hmm. his voice. And mm-hmm. so I was trying to place it, trying to place it. And then um, we looked it up afterwards. And uh, my wife did not know that I had watched the entire IT crowd. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's Moss. I know. I know that. <laughs> I know that now. <laughs> um, and I uh, I didn't mention it, but I uh, should mention it. Dave Filoni is back as uh, Trapper mm-hmm. Wolf. Yeah. Oh, and, and so speaking of that, there was also just, uh, and we'll get into it as we go through it, but there was also a very strong parallel connection with... Um, Chapter six from episode from season one, the prisoner uh, with yep. the X-Wing pilots and the whole reason that they're chasing down uh, Din and, and the Razor Crest. Yes. And that is part of why I all the connections that I made with the spiders and literature and all kinds of things directed back with that episode really made this um, this script a lot more. Um, deep and rich for me so yes we will talk about that okay because i'm i'm excited because i i didn't really go deep (laughs) with this episode (laughs) so uh (laughs) with that we will uh just jump into the to the recap and and discuss uh the episode and so it does pick up right when um uh chapter nine left off it's with with din heading back to to moss eisley and he's ambushed by a group of thugs and I sort of feel like at least these first two episodes, um, I forget what season one did, but they're, they're sort of a kind of a little standalone kind of little plot point about Din as the Mandalorian. And mm-hmm. so so this little tiny uh, uh, little little plot summary here is, is that he gets he gets ambushed by these group of thugs who 
are really, I think, just scavengers. They're they're not really interested in anything in particular other than um, trying to trying to make make a score. And they clothesline uh, Din on the speeder bike, which was so hard to see, especially no, as, the speeder as, bike. as the child goes tumbling. Oh, yeah, when the child goes tumbling through the ground, that's like, oh, no, that, that, that had lots of gasps at my house. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they, they didn't they didn't watch Return of the Jedi and the Ewoks who did that to the yep, stormtroopers. No. So they, they weren't they, yeah. they weren't prepared for it. But um. <laughs> But we see Din as the Mandalorian taking out all the thugs except for one um, who kind of looks like a, a robotic kind of unmasked Jawa. But yeah. it, uh, he he was recognizable, at least in the sense that he's the same species as there's one of those in The Force Awakens right at the beginning mm-hmm. on Jakku inter- and interacts with Rey. So... We don't really know what the the species is, but there was a at least a, a visual connection to to the Force Awakens there. But this one uh, particular scavenger manages to grab the child and knows that uh, threatening the child is going to at least get Dinda to hopefully hand over some of his some of his goods, and he wants the jetpack, which yeah yeah I, <laughs> I want that too yeah <laughs> right um but. Din, being a Mandalorian, of course, has has a, a cards up his sleeve that that the scavenger doesn't and makes the trade. And then we have this awesome remote control device that he can use on the on the jetpack, which is pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> and then you just yeah. watch the little thing fly up in the air. Yep. I love the watching the child's expressions throughout. All the time, where he's just like, he's like, yeah, you get him, dad. <laughs> you get him. <laughs> I did love how how this episode was more child focused. So we saw mm-hmm. a lot more cuteness and troublemaking uh, from mm-hmm. from the child. So Din, of course, gets his jetpack back and and carries his load back into to Moss Eisley because he doesn't have a speeder bike anymore. And can I just I say I that? Oh, sorry, but I was going to talk about the the opening sequence that it not only sets up the problem of having no speeder, but it also kind of sets up this theme of being a protector. And Mm -hmm. in this opening scene, he ends up looking very capable, which Mm -hmm. makes, I think, the the later problem seem um, even worse because he's in over his head and things are not going according to plan and he doesn't have a plan B ready. Um, and so I think that sort of um, uh, contrast was very uh, intentional on the part of John Favreau writing this. Yeah, you, you you definitely get a sense of he's got this. There's there's even if the the Jawa if the Jawa had chosen to take anything else, he still would not have mm-hmm. been put out by it like he knew that he was completely in control of the situation. He just needed the knife away from the child. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a very interesting way to look at this episode. But also, um, since they did mention the force in the uh, in the middle of it, I mean, there there is an element of of um, destiny at work, too. I mean, in how uh, Din is saved ultimately in this episode, even though he is in over his head, um, this isn't the end of the story, you know, and so there's mm-hmm. uh, the force at work or as we would call it divine providence and the holy spirit at work but 
in a in our world at least. So, well, and I will say that they did a great job of uh, making it feel very desperate and dark. They're mm-hmm. like you you know the stories about these two characters, so there's no way that they're going to be done. But you're sitting there left wondering, wow, how how are they going to get out of this one? This is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and and so yeah, when when the, the kind of destiny moment comes in, it, it's expected but at the same time it was a surprise and it was it was gratifying because of that but even at the end of the episode like um they're all cramped in the cockpit together and that's like that's the only thing that's protecting them from outer space (laughs) so they they get away but but not not well i guess Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so din does make it back to to Moss Eisley, and of course they the, the they make the point, or that the cameras make the point that he's still carrying Boba Fett's armor, which is important. Um, and he heads back to the cantina, where he finds Peli playing sabak with this giant ant creature that she calls Doctor Mandible, uh, which was <laughs> which was cool. <laughs> which which he might that might not be his name, but that might be what she calls him, just because mm-hmm. I mean. He doesn't speak a language oh, that would have a name. <laughs> I, it sounds like totally a nickname. I mean, in the same way that we call Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda, even though it's exactly the child. And <laughs> I'm trying to be very careful on the podcast to, to call him the child just to <laughs> to keep that. But I, he's Baby Yoda, colloquially. Um. So, yeah, he might be forever known as Dr. Mandible, even if that's not his name. And uh, so, so, so Pelly's playing Sabak, and uh, they have this conversation, and and Din is still looking for the other coverts of the Mandalorians, and since uh, Cobb Vanth was uh, not able to provide him with any more information, Doctor Mandible says that he knows someone who can help, um, but Din has to cover his his call on this next round of Sabak, and. At least that's what Pelly says he says. <laughs> True. I really like her. I, she she's not like super. I mean, I I think she's trustworthy. She's not super truthful though. I mean, so like with Frog Lady, she's like I'm, I <laughs> I trust trust her with my life, and she's known her for ten minutes, and yet yeah. there's something about her that I just I find <laughs> I find Very her charming. To be, yeah. Like I would, I would trust her even if she, you know, isn't, I, I don't think she's, she's out to get Din at all. It's, you know, she, she, she wants, uh, she wants to make a buck on the side, but I think she's, she's <laughs> right. good hearted. She's very down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so, uh, so Paley, uh, wins the, wins the Sabak round with an idiot's array, which was really cool connections to all sorts of Sabak as a. I mean, essentially a poker card game that's prevalent. It was prevalent in in Solo, the movie, and it's in tons of books and everything. So it has all sorts of connections. And I would love to have an official rule book one day in an actual deck. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I can't so, believe that hasn't happened yet. Like this, well, it's, it, yeah. it's been around for so long. There's been so many games. I, I haven't been able to find one. And I don't think oh, there's I like a... Find it, but... I don't think that there's a universal standard on how to play it. In some of the in some of the books, and I and I forget if it's legends or canon, um, but there's like some of the cards will shift values randomly, and so you'd need you'd need more than just a card deck. You would need a an app or an electronic device to help to help do that. And I'm sure there's unofficial decks all over the place. 
I don't know. I mean, I I thought that um, after uh, Solo came out that they that Star Wars actually created uh, an official like merchandised version because I thought I remember seeing that on the Star Wars show. But hmm. anyways, it's well, been a while since I've looked for it, so maybe. Hmm. I'm always in need of a good Christmas present. So mom, if you're listening, <laughs> which I know she's not. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so anyways, uh, that, yeah, that's, that's a, a cool connection to, to the movies and other, other things in star Wars. Um, but they go back to the, to the hangar to meet up with this contact who is going to lead Din to the other Mandalorian coverts. And, um, <laughs> we get to the hangar and Peli's droids are roasting some of the crate dragon meat on another pod racer engine, which is <laughs> super cool. <laughs> and a galaxy connection as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was reading about that. I don't, um, Thomas, have you been to galaxy's edge yet? I have not been. No. Okay. Uh, so, so apparently in galaxy's edge, there is a, I, I, I don't know what it looks like, but there's a place where there's, they're roasting, meets over a, a pod racer engine so um, no i can't vouch for that as the truth because my wife watches like uh disney stuff all the time like you know the the, the walkthroughs of <laughs> so as soon as galaxy's edge opened i've basically been to Gal- galaxy <laughs> <laughs> so, yes i can say that does happen <laughs> it's actually a thing <laughs> I, yeah. I have a question though about this little mini scene which is why does Pelly say not to over roast it because she's not a Rodian for crying out loud. Oh, like, is there that. something about Rodians liking tough meat or what? <laughs> um, it seems to me like it would be opposite too, because Rodians yeah. are like a hunter race, you know, that's, that's kind of their thing. So that's an interesting little cultural tidbit, I guess. <laughs> or the or, way that, the way that I took it was that, I am like Pelly and I like I like steak medium rare. And I think she was using Rodians as a derogatory term towards those who like their steaks medium well or well done. Okay. Or she was just referring back to uh Han Solo's slight event in Moss Eisley years before. <laughs> True. He did he did roast him. He, he, he definitely did. And that would be something she would know about because that's like her space, right? Yep. Well, and I and I think that even the 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 um, booth that they were in is the the booth where where it all went mm-hmm. down and mm-hmm. in the cantina. So I don't know. I like that she liked her steaks medium rare because that's I think the only way to eat <laughs> a mm-hmm. good steak. Yeah. So <laughs> so Peli uh, tells Din that the the Mandalorian covert is close. It's in the apparently it's in the sector that's just adjacent to theirs and. Uh, the information is free, minus a finder's fee, of course, for for Peli. But um, the catch is that the contact wants passage to the system, and the other catch is that Din can't use the hyperdrive because uh, the the contact is a frog lady who's carrying her eggs, and if these eggs go through hyperspace, they will die. And apparently, these eggs are the last of of hers so if if they all die then her line is ended so in order to for her to have any children whatsoever these these eggs are very precious and um can't be risked uh through hyperspace and so my first thought and and i think it's still true but i was like oh this is gonna be a great pro-life episode like we're gonna have you know like protect the (laughs) eggs (laughs) and uh and it it 
It was. Um, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> sort of. I had, to, I had to really, in my mind, um, separate the fact that, okay, these eggs are unfertilized. So right. when the child <laughs> is eating them, it's like eating a chicken egg. That's, you know, like, it's okay. <laughs> it's not, he's not killing someone, but he's. Yeah, eating Still the potential the because there's not an infinite amount. Right, of them. right, 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 right. So, so my my hopes of like a super pro life like <laughs> method. <laughs> we have a, a baby Yoda who's kind of uh, thrown in the mix of things. But I've seen online that that people were still kind of like upset by seeing like oh. seeing the child eat the eggs. So I think that's kind of neat. Like that we all sort of had. Mm. I mean, maybe not all of us, but. I think the majority of us probably had that feeling of like, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little bit of a gut check where you're like watching yeah. it and you're like, oh, that's that's awful. And then you're like, <laughs> ah, I mean, it's not that awful because. <laughs> but Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it does point out just though that that fundamental reality that that um, I mean, we have a desire to protect life and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Din gets that, too. And, you know, he's trying to protect them and he's trying to protect the child. Um, but also, I just I was reflecting on this, that everyone and myself included thought it was super adorable when the child ate the frogs on in in the first season. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, every time he ate something, I was like, oh, oh no, no. And then when he eats Don't the spider, it. like that was even worse. It. Like, okay, cute, cuteness factor has now diminished and like, no, don't do it. Um <laughs> It's a, yeah, that moment when, when Mando tells them that when they're at the pond and he's like, don't, don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the uh, frog lady is going to uh, hitch a ride to the Trask or to the to the estuary moon of Trask in the system of the gas giant uh, Colibin. I looked that up and that has not been mentioned anywhere else in anything Star Wars. So this is completely yeah. new territory. Yay. So <laughs> I loved how Paley just listens to the frog lady and then like she has this super long explanation of what the frog lady said. And she, then she's like, you know, <laughs> I just paraphrased all of that. Like, that's that's what that's what she said. And her her the frog lady's husband is on that moon. And so that's why she's trying to get there. I, I like I like here that that um Jen doesn't have like a universal translator uh, that he mm-hmm. actually knows. The, the language of the Tuscans yep. because you know that's one of those things you're, you kind of wonder okay well is it just that he can like understand anything because he's got something in his head that or in his helmet that allows him to hear it mm-hmm. but no that's not the case this he just knows the language of the Tuscans he knows the Jawa at mm-hmm. least enough to pass you know <laughs> but did not know yep. the language of uh of yep. this per- this particular alien um, he also knows Hatice as well, the, the language of the huts, because uh, he tries to use that to connect with her when they're on the ship. And right. she she isn't able to respond to that. Uh, she obviously understands basic and is able to to understand Din, but it doesn't go uh, both ways. Um, they head off into space and um, they they kept they kept showing the child being drawn to the container of eggs. And. My my initial thought was, oh, he's he's so like, you know, enamored by the beauty mm-hmm. and the the, you know, the the perspective of life and all. And no, 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 no. That was set up so well, because well, I think everybody got that that impression, you know, the direction mm-hmm. of how they actually introduced 
you know, the child's relationship to this jar. And mm-hmm. even the music was very like, you know, inspiring the sense of like awe and wonder and childlike yep. curiosity. <laughs> yep. So, and he like holds, his, holds his hand up and they all kind of move toward yeah. him. You know? <laughs> and then it's like the cookie jar. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I figured, uh, Thomas, you might be able to speak into this too a little bit more since you are a dad yourself. But I figured there, there was, I'm sure that there was a lot of just parallels here to like a toddler. Oh, man. Oh, the, but I think <laughs> you you find out in this episode that, that Din's not just a good protector, but a good dad. Uh, and that's, I, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later when, when, um, when the, the frog lady leaves the ship, uh, you know there's that moment where uh, the child walks around and he's like, well, you could get over here and make yourself useful. <laughs> and and I, you know, I'll do that to my, I'll do that even to my tiny little kids. Like I, I'll do that. Yeah. You know, Cause they'll sit there and they'll watch me or they'll pick up my tools and run off with them. And it's just like, well, you know, you could come over here and help, but then I also yeah. know when they're in, when they're in danger and I can't just let them then walk out of my line of sight and just let them be. And that, and that's what he stops what he's doing. And he walks around, to go and find the child. And there are, there's so many, like this just resonated so much with me. Like, no, stop. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I figured that. Um, I've experienced it only slightly with my niece and nephew and my goddaughter, but not, not on a daily basis. So they, they set the course to, to go to the next sector and, um, and we find out where, where Din sleeps. I, I didn't pick that as the, the 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 sleeping chamber, but I guess that makes perfect sense that uh, that that little alcove where where the child has been for a lot of the episodes that's a um, that's a sleeping chamber. Um, and it but, was right next to the refresher, by the way. I don't know. If that. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a little toilet seat thing, yep. like right next yep. to that. <laughs> makes perfect sense. You gotta you know be be efficient in space in a ship like that. <laughs> Um, but before, before they do go off to sleep, um, uh, we do have the first, uh, egg eating by, by the child and Din has to stop him and tell him not to do that again. And, um, tells him that it's nap time and they have to go, go to sleep. Um, we are, they are awoken to proximity alarms going off. Um, and they are approached by two X wings and who are out on, who are out patrolling and they they notice that the razor crest is not transmitting a transponder so i found this interesting and i had to um i ended up going on reddit to to try to figure out what was going on because my interpretation of this was if uh, the ship is if if a ship is transmitting a transponder that's they're transmitting their id and their 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 name out to those who are patrolling and so i was confused at how the x-wings knew to call them the razor crest and from what I understand and what people suggest is that uh, the Razor Crest is like a type of ship. So it's a right. Razor Crest, not the Razor Crest. So that at least kind of helped me understand like, OK, so they, they, they just saw that it was a Razor Crest and were able to to kind of like start talking to them as, as a Razor Crest. And because um, I was confused right. how they knew the name without the transponder being active. But uh, that was kind of an interesting thing for me to to spend some time on reddit trying to figure out something about mando right where he has like this super expensive armor that he maintains perfectly and he flies a hunk of junk that he hasn't even named (laughs) you know it's kind of like yep that sounds about right (laughs) yeah yeah um 
But he call I mean, he at least calls it the Razor Crest, but that's not mm-hmm. really a name name. That's just a, the name of the, 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 the model like of the show. saying the F-150. Right. Know? Yeah. Right. It'd be, it'd be back to the truck, you know? Like, yep. And, yep. and I think that's the important thing to remember is that there, there's a difference between a person who has a vehicle and a person who has like a boat or something mm, that they yep. that they've spent time thinking about the name and yep. like po- pondering you know what they're going to call it and so it's a different mentality and there's still people that have boats that they, they have to register them so they have to give it a name but they would just refer to it as the boat and mm. not as you know some other grandiose thing mm-hmm. yeah which is kind of funny i i had a friend who named my ford escape esther so so, so my vehicle so is, is is Esther, not not uh, my car, or my my uh, Ford Escape. <laughs> um, so okay, well that that definitely kind of kind of makes sense, and and it does fit, I guess, Mando's just personality to like have this old piece of junk that he flies around in. I mean, mm-hmm. my dad still has his 1977 Ford pickup that that you know they take out on the ranch and drive around and. It works works just fine. So so the New Republic X Wings are are telling Din that he's supposed to be transmitting this transponder and uh Din they kind of go back and forth and again it felt like a like your tail lights out, like go get it fixed kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. And Din's like, Yeah, okay, I'll I'll keep that in mind. I'll 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 get it fixed. And um that's where we have the Catholic moment, uh where <laughs> Din says, May the force be with May you. The force be with you. <laughs> I think he was hoping that that would be a saving grace, you know. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going to speak these yes. people's language, and hopefully they'll get off my back. That is that is exactly how it came across because he was, I mean, he was responding like with a little hesitancy and like knew that he was probably on maybe not the right side of of the legal side of things, and well, and he's he's got uh, several strikes against him. I think mm-hmm. he knows that he's kind of on the outs with with the rebels because that's what we find out is eventually the problem that's bigger here but yep. he's also doing this sublight transport which is shady at best you know uh because you just why would you go sublight if you could just right. launch in hyperspace and get somewhere right it's suspicious and, yeah and and then he's got this cargo that he's not really sure what's going on with her he's just picked her up like frog lady might be delivering somebody else's eggs and this could be <laughs> contraband he's like not going to get into it because you know you're yep. this is the contract right but that's you know you know you never know what's going on there ultimately it doesn't save him though nope. uh they <laughs> they the x-wings ask him to 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 transmit a ping uh to prove that he is not uh imperial and uh so din tries to avoid doing that and says he can't get it to work and uh when they threaten to, to take him to to the nearby outpost uh oh he manages to get the ping to work and turns it on and it uh transmits and we have the x-wings going to a private channel to discuss about things and then their <laughs> s-foils open an attack position and <laughs> the right intimidating moment <laughs> the writing's on the wall yeah um uh, they do. They they then ask him if if he was in the proximity of the New Republic Correctional Transport Bothan Five, uh, and so this would have been uh, episode chapter six from season one uh, when when they broke in um, and and rescued quote unquote uh, Quinn, 
in that particular episode and Din knows that he's been caught. So he runs and that's where we, we visually get to see that it's Dave Filoni and uh, Paul Sun Lee as well as Trapper Wolf and Captain Carson Tava. <laughs> and they and they play the board cops so well. We got a runner. <laughs> it's it's yeah. like this is totally boring. This, oh boy, this is this is just another day at the you know. Uh, so they they try to escape, and Din goes to the surface of this particular ice world, which we have no idea uh, which which world it is. And the X wings chase the the Razor Crest into into the the atmosphere. And there was a nice little nod to a new hope uh, with there was the the canyon trench, the trench run. Yeah, yeah. I, saw that too. I was like, yes, it's the trench run. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even some of the dialogue was was kind of this, some of the same, mm-hmm. like, you know, it was the tracking computer and, and everything as they're trying to chase the ra- the razor crest through the through the trench. But Din being a fairly skilled um, Mandalorian uh, manages to to evade capture and uh, escapes by basically crash landing on the surface. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I, th- I think there's a, a good bit of that. That is him not caring about his ship. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, you know, it is just a, a vessel that gets him from one place to another. So as long as it's still intact and you can kind of see that by the end, it's you're reminded yeah. that really all a spaceship is, is a, a booster that has some kind of livable space attached to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it was sad because uh, Paley's droids had just completely like given that ship an overhaul. Yeah. And then he <laughs> just goes and, yeah, almost tries to destroy it. So they, they kind of crash land on, on the surface and uh, the, the ice doesn't hold them. And so they crash through the ice into this large, cold cave. And... uh and it rips a hole in the side of the ship. So there's there's snow coming into the main hold. And of course, uh, Frog Lady is very concerned about about her eggs. And so Din goes down to look for them and manages to to find them under a blanket. Um, and that's exactly where baby Yoda is and <laughs> eating more <laughs> eggs. I love the sound it makes when he sticks it in. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> It's like a section cup. <laughs> so and he's always like looking at some looking at the camera. So we were, you know, he's looking yep. at us when he pops one in his mouth. It's like, oh no. Yeah. Uh, the, you're so cute, but stop that. <laughs> yeah. The uh the the puppeteering and the the sound effects are just right on point. So didn't recognizes that they are in quite a bit of a tough spot at the moment. Uh, the main power is offline and there's this gaping hole in the side of the razor crest. And so he decides that they're going to wait until morning to assess their situation because night is approaching. And um, frog lady is not wanting this at all. Uh, she's very desperate and wants to <clears throat> wants Din to, to get out and fix the ship and continue on their mission. Um hopefully so that the the eggs are still uh protected and uh, of course din doesn't know this and so uh din and the child uh try to settle down to sleep and frog lady uses she she notices the head of zero who was the the droid from chapter 6 uh that was part of the the heist the the rescue operation in chapter 6 that ultimately din uh 
uh, he shot and disabled. And so the, the, the parts of the droid was still there on the razor crest, but frog lady notices that and apparently has a bit of skill with, with, uh, with robotics and, um, is able to, to get zero, at least his, his vocal processors working again and is able to use zero to act as a, as a translator for her. And she, she wakes up Din and, and through zero tells him of the importance of the mission to bring her eggs to her husband and gets Din to get up and not wait till morning by appealing to his honor, um, honoring his word as part of his, his code, the Mandalorian code. And so that's what, what gets Din to, to get up and to, to go outside and to try to start to, to fix the ship instead of waiting until morning. I, I love, love that we're line. getting more of this, more of this talk about the Mandalorians being known throughout the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And it's and it really does put in pers- into perspective the fact that the Jedi, who obviously would have been known throughout the galaxy, uh, were not the only group known that way. And then you think about, oh, well, yeah, the Jedi had this huge conflict with the Mandalorian mm-hmm. and the man <laughs> and like to have a conflict means that you have to be somewhat on the level and to think of like a non-Jedi being at the level of participation to be able to fight with a Jedi is, is really impressive. And then, you know, of course the galaxy would know about a force that powerful and that, that interesting and kind of what they stand for as much as they know what the Jedi stand for, at least in this mythological sort of mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Um, to go off of that, uh, the line that I really appreciated was that she said, I guess those are just stories for children. Mm. And um, the again, with the direction, because you see uh, the camera is on Mando. He looks to the child. The child looks back at him. He looks back at the child. The child looks back at him. He's like, oh, OK, <laughs> you know, like children. Yes. OK, that's you hit me where where it hurts. And um, but, you know, I also, you know, we talk about these themes, too, like I. Um, I couldn't help but think about how that kind of relates to Christians too, you know, mm-hmm. like um, what Christians are quote unquote supposed to be versus how we actually live, mm-hmm, you know, right. and like, is that just fairy tales, you know, for kids like, oh yeah, the Christians are, you know, or this is how we're brought up that we're supposed to act. But in reality, you know, do we really act that way? So um, I also kind of got that theme from that little exchange as well. Yeah, it's it's like that that stating by um by Gandhi that I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. And so it's very telling. Like when you know, there's there's sort of a legendarium that goes out about about you about your religion that you have to deal with when confronted with it in the world and sometimes it's right for better or for worse sometimes it's right sometimes it's wrong uh you know i know as catholics we deal with that, a lot of that where you go out and people have a perception of what they think catholics believe and occasionally it's very convicting and makes you have to step up to the plate and then other times it's kind of like that's not at all what we believe or right yeah. in any way and it's really let me, let, me, let me talk to you for a minute about that because that's not what Catholics believe and you need to be, you need to be told. <laughs> but it's a, it's a good reminder and, and Mando uh, responds with the right approach 
mm-hmm. um, both both for for the Mandalorian and upholding the the code that he lives by, but also us as as Catholics, like when we're confronted with the temptation to just you know go to sleep and ignore the whatever whatever it is in, it is in front of us that we're not supposed to ignore. Um, when that temptation hits us, we're called to to stand up and to to live out our faith um as as we know we should yeah and um i also think he's very relatable too because mm-hmm. he does get up but he also says like oh this wasn't part of the deal you know mm-hmm. so he's still kind of like oh, i don't and like I, this and i, and I think that that's anyway that, that's so appropriate and yeah relatable i think is a great word because i mean even as as catholics as christians like it's not always easy to to do the right thing, you know, it's easier to just step back and not do anything. Um, and as human beings, I mean, yeah, we sometimes grumble and complain and, um, you know, but we, we push through it and we, we, we do it anyway. Um, you know, I, I like to tell people that as you, as you're growing in virtue, uh, one of the best ways to kind of look at it is, is they say, fake it until you make it. So like, (laughs) even though you don't want to act you know, with prudence or with justice or temperance or fortitude, you know, interiorly, you might be resistant to it, but you're going to, you're going to fake that you want to do it and do it anyway. And that will build up that virtue in you, that habit of doing what is right Mm -hmm. until the point Mm -hmm. where you're doing it because it's, it's who you are and not, not because you're grumbling and complaining about it. But so yeah, definitely very, uh, relatable. And, uh, I, (laughs) I appreciate that for sure. So he does get up and uh, goes to to start to fix the ship. And that is kind of the the part where we were talking about earlier, where uh, the child kind of shows up and and there's something wrong. And mm-hmm. Mando senses that and and uh, goes to, to follow follow the child who points out that Frog Lady has gone off deeper into this this ice cave. And they follow the tracks and Frog Lady is in a is, is in a hot spring, which was mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. I was not expecting that. But <laughs> um, she's she's in there and uh, she's got all her eggs in the this hot spring with her. And and um, uh, she's she's there because it's warm, which I have to I just have to point out, like, I, I thought it was hilarious when he hands her a blanket and I'm like, if she's an amphibian and she's cold blooded that's yep. not going to do her any yep. good at all <laughs> yep yep <laughs> din of course is is very much against her being in the hot springs because he can't he can't protect her and so he, they need to get back to the ship and so they start to collect all the eggs and put them back in the container and <laughs> din has and to tell the child the no. child reaches for one <laughs> no <laughs> don't stop that uh, but then, but then the child does what every two-year-old is going to do: is they. Okay, so he does yes. listen. He doesn't. He doesn't grab one of the eggs, but he goes off in search of something else. Okay. Well, then, I love the like the little sniffs were great. Like he sniffs, you know. Yeah. He's got this little this moment where he just like he you know wrinkles his nose up and then he turns around and looks and it's like oh no, oh he found something else that's not good. <laughs> Yeah, because because really, I mean, Baby Yoda is the the cause of the entire fiasco that happens next. <laughs> like, yeah, from from this point forward, I was constantly cringing and 
I went through this episode twice for the podcast, so it's because of you listeners that I, I suffered <laughs> through this multiple times. Um, uh, I know. was impressed. My kids called it. My kids, like, before they even saw anything, they, they knew what those things were. They're like, oh, those oh. are spider eggs. And I'm like, how oh. do you even know that? And, and then one of them was like, oh, you remember there were the little spiders that were running around on Hoth? And I was like, mm. oh, I do not remember that. So now I got to go back and watch Empire Strikes Back and see where these uh yeah i don't these remember that. that they're talking about were they thinking of the probe droids i don't know that's i'm i'm wondering but they yeah. called it i was like that's okay uh, you guys are deeper in star wars than i am which is <laughs> amazing but uh, you know i mean i'm proud of you good job <laughs> I'll, I'll point this out that that i mean the, those spiders are not uh, it's not the first time we've seen spiders like that mm-hmm. um they are in star wars rebels uh, they were in um, the season two episode, The Mystery of Chopper Base. They're on the planet Adalon. Um, but it was pointed out that the, um, the Lucasfilm creative art manager, Phil uh, Showstack, said that they are not the same species. So people were trying mm-hmm. to equate them as the Krikna. I think that's how you pronounce it. That's the spider on Adalon. But um, the the uh, Phil Showstack said that they're they're based on the same design, but they're two different species and they're based on concept art uh, that never made it into the original trilogy from Ralph right. McQuarrie. So it's definitely not the first time we've seen spiders that look similar, but they so weren't, that's where it was. but they weren't, they weren't, they weren't, they were in a desert cave sort of environment, not an ice planet. Um, this is again, where the, the puppeteering and the animatronics of, of the child was really good really gross oh, yeah. but really good when uh-huh. he reaches into that spider egg and eats the spider which like i said i was just reflecting on the fact that when he ate the frog it was adorable and like mm-hmm. the spider is completely the opposite it's kind of repulsive but then when he runs back down the hill because he's scared <laughs> of what's happening it's like that's he redeems all the adorable and right opinion. right and he gets right. It right back you know yeah. like, <laughs> well, and and like any good dad, I mean that didn't didn't respond to that as the protective father, and uh, you know, uh, as all the other eggs are hatching and the spiders start to to crawl out, you know, they uh, <laughs> scoop up the child and um, the 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 container of eggs, and then um, it was also really kind of funny that frog lady. I loved how she used her tongue to to grab her to grab her clothes yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> and get dressed real quick. I also like here that that Den is not he doesn't reach for his blaster first, you know, and that's it's it's been consistent throughout the whole series. Like that's not his first reaction is to just blast his way out of things. Um, But that's a big deal. Like it's it's for a character who is as warlike as the Mandalorian Mm -hmm. is. He, Mm -hmm. He always tries to find another solution and then comes back to that when it's the last thing. And he's very often put in that position. But that's his last resort, not his first. And I wonder yeah. if that's a, a result of um, I remember us kind of talking about this last with the last season is, is how the child has changed him. Mm. Um, because I, I wonder if before he met the child, he was very much kind of the bounty hunter. And, and we talked about just how how the child made him more compassionate and, and um, everything. So I, I, I wonder if this is a, a continuing result of that change within him. Could be. We have a huge spider that shows up, which <laughs> made everything worse. <laughs> um, it was bad enough that there were thousands of them. Now there's just one really big one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, there's a, a cool chase scene as they're heading back to the ship and running away. And uh, Frog Lady, which, she's so much faster when she's leaping like a frog, which was which was really cool to see on screen. Yeah. Um, you know, Din tries to to plant charges and and you know tries to stop the spiders and even apparently kills the giant spider. But but oh no, that spider is not dead. I think there was another one, wasn't? Or, or was well, the may, maybe one? there was. I don't know. I I sort of equated the the the, two, the giant spider as one, and then, um, but maybe there were two. I don't know. You can watch it again and let me know if. <laughs> I want to say there were three big spiders because he does kill one on the way to the ship. Okay. Yeah. Um, because it like collapses after those charges go off, and then there's another one that's coming after him, and that's the one that, um. I don't know. Yeah, I I only watched the episode <laughs> twice. <laughs> now you got to see this episode reminded me like, but this whole s- sequence of scenes reminded me of the old Ewok movies and like just the feel of it. Like it had this you know yeah. very monster of the week kind of feel, uh, and and that's not a bad thing. Like I know a lot of people rag on the Ewok movies, but I love the Ewok movies. I think they are fantastic. <laughs> if I could find them anywhere to watch with my kids, I would gladly. But you know, I'm I I can't even find them to buy anymore. It's kind of sad they're just not they don't <laughs> seem to exist and i'm like why they were you know they were campy but they were star wars it's, and and it, it would definitely not reach the level of like the christmas special right the, <laughs> oh yeah so um <laughs> it was it was good it was goofy and it was what you would want in a like star wars camp movie right that mm-hmm. wasn't mainline star wars so the, the, I, that the whole feel of this was that for me like kind of that chase scene like we're in this alternate place with this really weird monster and it's just it fits because it's star wars but it definitely also went like horror feel like yeah <laughs> yep 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 <laughs> <laughs> spiders man spiders are good good for skin crawling <laughs> uh yeah yeah um they they do uh make it back to the razor crest and of course there's the big hole in the side of the ship like right. naturally <laughs> of course they're not going to be able to hide in the in the this ship hardly uh but they do manage to to all get up into the cockpit and are able to to finally seal off the doors and and frog lady even shoots one off the top of of the child's head as as one was was crawling on him um and so they they have a moment of of relative safety and then they or no uh yeah so so they, no, they're they, stuck with the door the door still the, won't even close right right they and and din has to use his, his flamethrower to 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 knock him back and 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 seal the door and immediately they try to try to take off and, and get away. And as they are lifting off, another giant spider lands on top of the ship and <laughs> crashes back down to the. Yeah. Now, see, and so this this scene, like the scene with the doors, is something that makes me wonder about his resources. Um, he's able to refill his flamethrower just mm-hmm. fine, but what happened to the the whistling birds? Like where? You know that seems this seems like an appropriate moment to have used them. Can he reload them? I think it would depend on whether he had extras. Because if you remember in season one, the armor had to had to forge them exactly f- for him. So I suspect so, the whistling birds are a much rarer commodity. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think that he's out because he used it in the first episode. So, but there's also the question of with so many spiders, would you would you waste five or six whistling birds on a thousand? You well, know, I mean, just just one to clear out the immediate area, and then think stories. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that would have been my that would have been my go to. I don't know. I think of course I'm not a man of was pretty so, effective. You know. so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing the recap of this. this recap. Oh my gosh! I, I, I mean, I wrote it down, but like, you know, I just put, <laughs> literally in my notes, I put cringe and I put large, gross teeth and suckers because, like, as the giant spider lands on the on the cockpit, like <laughs> that's all you see, and it's oh, yeah. Um, thankfully it's at that point that, uh, the X-Wing pilots come in and, and save the day and they shoot and kill every single spider in that particular clearing in that cave, which was so, so good. I mean, I love when they go out there, both just kind of like, it's like, it's like that, like they look like cowboys, like sitting on their horses that just came in and like, you know, started <laughs> yeah. shooting all the dingoes to keep them away from the, yep. the mom with her, with her baby, you know? <laughs> But I was I was impressed at how accurate they were because those spiders are not big and they're they're firing from, I mean, (laughs) a bit of distance and they're hitting every single one. Yeah. So uh, kudos, kudos to their training. So Carson, Captain Carson tells uh, Din after every spider is destroyed, thankfully, just to point out, I'm the type who if I kill a spider, I will go throw it in a trash can in a different room that I'm in. Just because, just just down the toilet. You know, if I if I'm going to be completely transparent and honest with you guys, like that's how I deal with spiders. Uh, so, anyways, uh, Captain Carson tells Din that that they did ran the the tabs of the Razor Crest and found that Din does indeed have an arrest warrant out for the abduction of the prisoner who would have been Quinn in that uh, chapter six episode from season one. However, they also recognize that he apprehended three priority culprits from the wanted register. Uh, This would be Mayfield, Sheon, and Berg. And that he put his own life in harm's way to try to protect Lieutenant Davin, who was in that episode as well. And because of that, they decide not to arrest him. So they just tell him to, to fix his transponder so they don't vape him the next time that they see him when they're out on patrol. And then they leave without helping him fix his ship at all. (laughs) And that was like, to me, that was such a great um, representation of justice because he's kind of like, hey, you know, you want to help me fix the ship? And they're (laughs) like, they just give him kind of this skank eye like, "Um, no, (laughs) why would we do that? (laughs) But um, yeah, like he tries to get the the entire situation, um, you know, free and clear. Of course, you know, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. But um, the X-Wing pilots are kind of like, no, you got to clean up your own mess, you know. And so they're there to help him out. And um, because, you know, he he helped one of theirs. um, But ultimately, he wouldn't be in the position he was in if he hadn't run. Yep. If he just chilled and let them do their job. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think, yeah, they're they were definitely very nice to him. but they also were like, no, you've got to clean up this mess because you made it, you know. Yep. 
Yeah. So so Din uh, does manage to at least fix the cockpit enough so that they can uh, they can at least get back in outer space and they can limp to Trask. And uh, but he can't fix the hole. So they they all have to be cozy in the cockpit for however long that ride is to Trask. And they're able to at least launch into space and head that way. Um, the ship <laughs> looks re- yeah, that the, way. The, 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 the <laughs> ship looks really, really worse for wear. Um, and then the episode ends with <laughs> the child having stolen at least one more egg that he eats before the end credits. <laughs> I thought I thought they were gonna I thought they were gonna give him a t- change of heart. You know, after the lady had saved him, it looks like oh, it looks like he's like kind of lovingly looking back, and the no, he turns around, he's got another one in his hand. <laughs> it's like, oh no. <laughs> I think yeah, your that was cookie jar analogy is, clear. <laughs> I think your cookie jar analogy might be just super appropriate. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> this is definitely the cookie jar. <laughs> like he knows that he shouldn't and yet he continues to to eat them. Yeah, so that that's kind of the episode. So not not huge in terms of of overall plot, but uh I think I think it was Yeah, the first half of the episode was great. Back half mm-hmm. eh. <laughs> okay, so do you want to know Once my spider show up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you want to know my obscure literary reference? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Go for it. Yes. <laughs> okay. So um, there's this uh, novella that was written in the late 19th century, and it's called The Black Spider. And it was written by Jeremiah Gottelf, um, but it's a Christian allegory. And it's been made into, um, I think, a one-act opera and a movie, a couple other things that are based off of it. It's kind of considered like an old uh, classic. So um, I won't give like all the details in case you want to read it yourself, but essentially hear me out and then maybe you can tell me if I'm just reaching for things or, you know, if maybe, I don't know if John, I doubt John Favreau, like, you know, was was using this as source material, maybe. But anyway, so the story involves children and spiders. And um, that uh, there there's this consequence of a, a bunch of villagers have a really demanding master and he gives them this impossible task. And in order to actually get the task done and still survive with their families, the villagers decide to make a deal with the devil. And so um, the devil uh, wants, on his end, he wants an unbaptized child. And um, so the villagers are all like, well, you know, we'll just make this deal. And then once, uh, every time a baby is is born, then we'll just baptize it right away. So um, it ends up that they go ahead and do this and their life becomes easier temporarily but then eventually catches up with them and there's um, a whole bunch of spiders that come into like invade the the village and causes um, famine and all kinds of crazy stuff. And, um, and it kind of reminded me of how, you know, like the whole, the whole idea that if you make bad choices, then it's going to come back to haunt you and you're going to have to deal with the consequences. So, you know, we got all of these callbacks to that episode, The Prisoner from season one, where Din Djarin is in a rough spot with the, you know, Bounty Hunters Guild. And that was his livelihood for so long. And, 
you know, now he's in this pickle. And so he's going to these old, you know, colleagues of his that are sort of shady and they have this weird deal going on and he helps them do this illegal thing that ends up kind of backfiring and all these bad things happen, right? He ends up getting away at the end, but it still kind of comes back to haunt him in this episode, right? Right. So um, I was sort of thinking about that. And even the funny thing being that in The Prisoner, we have one of the crew members was a Deveronian who looks like a devil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so in the allegory, the devil goes after the children and um and later there's like this yeah this demonic evil that has all these little spiders but then there's this big spider and the big spider is sort of like the embodiment of like evil and everything and so people are able to sort of over the generations plug up a hole and trap the spider but the spider always ends up you know people kind of forget about the spider and they sort of go on living and then somebody you know, opens up the hatch and here comes the big evil spider again. And it finally ends in, um, there's this character character named Kristen who uh, has Christ in the name. And he ends up uh, getting rid of the spider ultimately by sacrificing his life. So, um, you know, I kind of thought about that in terms of the whole point of the story, of course, is like I said, you know, things come back to haunt you, but also that if we allow evil to sort of live in our hearts and we don't address it, then, um, you know, it will come back up again, you know, and kind of like what you were saying, Father, about virtue, you know, Mm -hmm. like it it goes that way as well. Like you've got to foster the virtue um, and you can't just sort of expect to live a good life, quote unquote, and then everything's going to be fine. You have to be, um, you have to really make that self-sacrifice, you know, in order to make sure that evil does not, you know, grow in your life. And so, um, so ultimately, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it deals with the future generations as well. Um, So it, this novella was really kind of like an early, example of horror and um you know because of the spiders and getting the children and the devil and everything but um i think with this episode you really do kind of see some of those themes as well um again maybe john favreau didn't use this as a source material but i think there's there's so many um ultimate truths in myth that, you know, with symbols that continue to resonate with all of, you know, human history, you know, spiders being creepy and live in the dark and kind of um, mysterious. So um, we we do see these things come back over and over again. And that's kind of what the whole point of like our podcast is too, like secrets right. of Star Wars, secrets of all the secrets podcasts, like that's, um, one of the cool things about mythology. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think um, just when I was reflecting on this story and kind of the connections with the Mandalorian, it was like, wow, you know, like if you see it from that lens, then, you know, you see those connections with last season and now it's coming back to haunt him um, that, you know, I, I sort of wonder um, maybe 
him helping this frog lady, you know, and her kids is sort of him having to um, sort of make, make um, father, what's, what's the word that I'm not thinking of? Amends or um, restitution. uh, Yeah. Yeah, Restitution um, for his, his previous crimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting that, that it's like, it's the child's innocent, but still greedy nature that causes the problems here too. Right. Where he keeps trying to eat the, eat the frog eggs. And when in that critical moment, uh, then tells him, no, don't, not that one. He walks off and finds something else that then causes Mm -hmm. more of a problem. Right. And it's, it's kind of because there's a lack of instruction there, not just don't eat that thing, but like what else, should he be doing there's no there's no clear uh you know here's how you solve that problem you need to you need to do this or you need to if if you want to eat one of those eat this instead or something to teach him uh and so that's something i think the mandalorian's going to have to kind of grow into is that not only is he responsible for the life of the child but also for the actions that the child is committing mm-hmm True. I think you've got a you've got a couple different uh, storylines going. You've got the the storyline of of Din growing as a as a father uh, to the child mm-hmm. and that whole realm of things. Um, but I think also Angela, I, I really I I like that that idea because if if he had just not run in the first place, if he because ultimately they let him go, and I think they probably would have still let him go before he tried to run if they would have just been able to to talk it out and to, you know, to recognize what Din did. Um, ultimately, um, you know, instead he tried to run from what he had done. And it wasn't until the end of the episode is when he finally acknowledges it. And he is resigned to, you know, he, I think he asked the question, like, am I being arrested? And like, you can tell <laughs> yeah. that he's, he's like, okay, if this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, and he's he's finally facing that and not running away from that. Uh, and and the, the spiders. Yeah, I think metaphorically it could be kind of the consequence of him running away from that. Mm. Um, you know, and that's one of the things just even in the Christian life. I mean, some people try to look at like, you know, the God of the Old Testament is like the punishing wrathful God. You know, and the God of the New Testament is the God of love and mercy. And um, it's the same God. Uh, but often what people confuse is the consequence of sin as punishment from God. Right. And mm-hmm. actually what it is, is like God allows us to experience the consequence of our actions, of our sinfulness um, in the same way that a, a good dad and mom would do that to their children to help them learn and grow and come back. It doesn't mean that that God is vengeful or punishing, but um, but we have to experience the consequence of sin in order to cause us to repent and come back. And so uh, um, Din, at least, is he's kind of forced into acknowledging what he's done. And but but he does do that. And and at least on a on a loosely symbolic level, there's a there's a de- there's definitely a connection there. Um, and that I think that's very insightful to to point out. So thanks for for drawing that out, Angela. Sure. Any other insightful, non insightful thoughts from <laughs> either of you? I still just love the fact that by the end of this you you realize that, you know, the spaceship is is literally just an engine that has like something yeah. attached to it, you know. <laughs> and like and, and that's the Razor Crest is definitely just that 
you know, it's an engine that has something attached to it. <laughs> it manages to get them back into space and on their way. It it does yeah. kind of hurt my heart though, because like I think as a as a guy, yes. like I just I love the ships of Star Wars, and so to see the Razor Crest <laughs> in that kind of state, it's just like oh no. But his armor is always so shiny. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I actually that was one of the things that I noticed when he fights the thugs at the beginning of the episode. He still got the green venom slime on his mm-hmm. on his helmet. But by the time that he gets into the cantina, he's, he's, he's yeah, he, he I don't know if there's a self-cleaning feature on that helmet, but um, <laughs> he yeah, he 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 was looking all shiny again. So which is yeah, the armor is so cool. I think that's it from us uh, listeners. Uh, what did you think of this particular episode of the Mandalorian and definitely let us know and you can do so by emailing us at star Wars, star Wars at sqpn.com or you can comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquest media, or you can tweet at us um, and we're on Twitter at sqpn. And this week we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible to create the secrets of Star Wars, including Laura R., Donna C., Pat D., Laura M., and John. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows that we make here at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Also, of course, make sure that you are subscribed to the show. Whether that's in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts, you can also subscribe on our SQPN YouTube channel. Just be sure to click the bell to receive notifications, and definitely be sure to share the podcast on your favorite social media to help us spread the word and to share this podcast with all the Star Wars fans out there who would really like to listen and to learn more and to join in the conversation as we continue to talk about The Mandalorian and all things as it relates to us and our Catholic faith. You can find any previous episodes of The Secrets of Star Wars by going to sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And we will be back next week where we will be discussing the third episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian. So until then, Thomas Sanjurjo, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Wars. It was great to be here. And Angela Silana, thanks for joining us this evening as well. It was a pleasure. I um, I wish everyone sweet dreams tonight and bring your <laughs> flamethrowers. <laughs> and of course, uh, may the force be with you. And with your spirit. <laughs> you know, it just feels weird. <laughs> uh, and once again, I am Father Andrew Kinstetter. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Quest.